It's Monday. It's the start of a new week, which means we are answering your Orioles questions on another mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, November 6th, 2023. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag once again. It is another off-season Mailbag Monday edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Got nine questions to answer here on today's mailbag, and they are all from you, the listener. We're going to talk about Jackson Holiday. We're going to talk about Freddie Gonzalez. We're going to talk about Tyler Wells. We're going to talk about Cade Povich and many, many more guys here on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So we jump into the mailbag. We're going to be doing it every single Monday on the podcast. Again, if you want to get some mailbag questions in every Monday throughout the offseason, email us, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet us at LockedOnOrioles on Twitter or leave your mailbag questions right here in the YouTube comment section. And make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles page on YouTube. Let's get to our first question. It comes from two different people. Matthew sent it in via email and Clams via Twitter basically asked the same version of this question. Do you think the Orioles will put top prospect Jackson Holiday on the opening day roster in 2024 to try for the draft pick compensation? Or do you think they will hold him down in AAA a bit at the beginning of the year for a multitude of reasons, including getting the extra year of team control and other things they could talk about? I've been pretty steadfast on this so far. We haven't talked a lot about Jackson Holiday just because there was so much 2023 Orioles to talk about. And yes, there were murmurs about him maybe coming up at the end of this season, but I think we all knew it wasn't going to happen. And it was amazing, right, that Holiday started the year in Delmarva and ended the year in AAA Norfolk. He is going to be, barring an injury, in Baltimore in the big leagues at some point in 2024. I think we all know that. But you could definitely argue that on opening day next year, he will be one of the Orioles' best 13 hitters and should be on the big league roster because of that. I just feel like the Orioles aren't going to put him on that opening day roster. And unless it's just the most amazing spring training you've ever seen, they're going to find reasons to put him in AAA. And here's how some of that compensation works, right? So if you get a full year of service time, so a full year of service time, is 172 of 187 days on the roster. So not games, but days. So the Major League Baseball season, in terms of days, is 187 days. If a player is on the big league roster for 172 or more of those days, they accrue a full year of service time. So when we talk about service time manipulation, that is a team basically holding a player in AAA for 16 days or more and once they do that and they come up and they're on the big league roster for 171 days or less, they don't get a full year of service time, which means you essentially gain an extra year on their rookie contract all the way at the end of the deal before they would become a free agent for the first time. 
The Orioles got that with Grayson Rodriguez this year. They got it with Adley Rutschman last year. Some different circumstances around those things, but still, it is something teams do, and it is manipulating player service time because most of the time those players are ready to go by opening day, but they hold them down to get that extra year of control. It's a it's very anti-player move that front offices do. Now, there were some changes in the new CBA that took over for the 2022 season that tried to stop some of this service time manipulation. And one of them was, if you get a full year of service, which means you're on the roster again for 172 days or more, and that player finishes top three in rookie of the year voting in either league, you will get an early draft pick. The Orioles are going to get that this year because Gunnar Henderson, after coming up in September of last year, of course spent the entire season on the big league roster this year, and he is going to win AL Rookie of the Year. I mean, no question he's finishing top three, and, and he is going to win that award. So when he does, it's not going to be a first-round pick, but the Orioles are going to get a draft pick after the first round, get rewarded with that, and it's going to be an extra pick that's pretty high in the draft that is going to help the Orioles moving forward. So the question kind of stems from, okay, will the Orioles put Jackson Holiday on the opening day roster, keep him on the roster all season, and trust that he will at least finish top three in Rookie of the Year and get that draft pick? And you would think... Oh, he doesn't even just have to win. Like, if he just finishes top three, like, he, he's going to do that if he's here all year, right? Well, here's the thing. There is no guarantee that he does that, right? There could be injury. There could be struggles. He's a young guy, even though he's the top prospect in baseball. There is no guarantee that he'll finish high enough to get that draft pick. But on the flip side, if you hold him down for those 16 days, another year of Jackson Holiday, and this is in the Orioles' calculations, for an owner who doesn't want to spend, has not shown a want to sign free agents or even extend his own players, an extra year of Jackson Holiday on the end of his rookie contract is more valuable right now to the Orioles than a second-round draft pick because Holiday was 1-1, and it's going to be really hard to find a player who is better than Jackson Holiday with that second round draft pick. And so if you get a extra year of Jackson Holiday, that's worth more than the pick right now to the Orioles. And now, depending on when the O's bring him up, there is rules in the CBA that allows Holiday to kind of flip it on his end. If he can finish first or second in rookie of the year, despite the fact that, you know, maybe he comes up in May, he will regain that year of service time at the end. So basically it evens out the service time. The Orioles think they get it when they bring him up late, but if he finishes first or second in Rookie of the Year, he gets the year back, trying to make a little more pro player. But I think the Orioles would take that chance, right, of not getting the draft pick, of thinking that they could get that extra year of holiday. It's unfortunate. I just, I see them not putting him on the opening day roster. Second question comes from Matthew via email who asks, what are the duties of a bench coach? And what value does Freddie Gonzalez, the Orioles bench coach, bring to Brandon Hyde and the O's? This is a really good question. You know, the general duties of a bench coach, they're different for every team, and it depends on the experience of your bench coach and the experience of your manager. But generally, they're, they're kind of the right-hand man to the manager, right? Most of them have been, you know, in organizations for a while. Some of them, like the Orioles, are previous managers who then lost those jobs and are now bench coaches for other teams. They kind of, they pull together, you know, they don't put together themselves all of the scouting info, but they kind of pull in all of the scouting info from the hitting 
coaches and the pitching coaches and the analysts on staff, and they bring it all together. And they're kind of the person that can make it most digestible for the manager and sometimes for the players and most available to the manager as well. And I don't know exactly what Freddie Gonzalez's role is for the Orioles, but listen, Freddie managed 10 years in the big leagues, four seasons with the Marlins and then six seasons with the Braves from 2011 to 2016. Like he had some good teams. He also had some teams that missed the playoffs when they probably shouldn't have. He's only managed five postseason games. He's one and four in the postseason in his managerial career, but he's managed over 1,400 games, has a winning record over 700 wins as a manager. He's got a lot of experience managing in the big leagues. And I think the best thing that Freddie Gonzalez does for the Orioles and for Brandon Hyde is brings that veteran manager presence to a guy in Hyde who is still a younger manager, right? At this point, yes, he just finished his fifth season and finally got and managed playoff games for the first time. And I think the Orioles have full confidence in him being the manager of a good Orioles team. But Freddie Gonzalez managed good teams in Atlanta too. And I think he gives that experience, especially when it came to playoff time this year, with just being another set of eyes, set of ears for Brandon Hyde. And I think it's a really good pairing. You see this with other teams in the league that have like a younger first-time manager. Generally, that bench coach will be an experienced guy that sometimes does have some good managerial success or at least experience in his big league career. And I think that one, too, has been good for the Orioles. Again, it's tough to know like what exactly Gonzalez's roles are. You don't really hear from him a whole lot unless, you know, Brandon Hyde gets ejected or misses a game and, and Gonzalez has to manage. But otherwise, it seems like he's kind of behind the scenes, helping with the players, helping the clubhouse, helping with Hyde. And he seems to like it here, and he's stuck around. And uh, he will be back in 2024. And I think it's been a, a good pairing, Hyde and Gonzalez. Third question of the day comes from Kevin via email, who asks, if you had to pick three weekend series at Oriole Park to attend in the 2024 season, what would they be? Sounds like Kevin might be uh, from out of town, maybe planning on some trips to Camden Yards. The easy answer, right, is opening weekend against the rain or against the Angels, excuse me, to open up the year. You know, there's going to be a lot of excitement. Team coming off a division championship, 101 wins, trying to do that again. But if, if you exclude that one, I'll give you three series, two in June and one in July. June 14th to 16th, weekend at home against the Phillies. First of all, you got a team that is vying for a World Series, going to be two really good teams. You got Philly right up the road, kind of the sister city, it feels like, for Baltimore. You're going to have a good amount of Phillies fans there, but a lot of Orioles fans. That's going to be a fun environment in Baltimore. They haven't played the Phillies at home in a little while here, um, so that should be fun. June 28th through the 30th, you got to be there. That is when the Rangers make their return to Camden Yards. Not just the defending champions making their return to Camden Yards, but the team that came in and swept the Orioles out of the ALDS with two wins here in Baltimore. Those are going to be looking for a little bit of revenge in that series. That should be a fun one. And then the last one, July 26th through the 28th, San Diego Padres coming in. Yes, the Padres were kind of a disaster this year. I still think they'll be good next year, and it's always fun to see Manny Machado return to Baltimore as well. And remember, we don't know yet, but the Padres are basically down to two candidates to replace Bob Melvin as their manager. One is Mike Schilt, the former manager of the Cardinals. The other is Ryan Flaherty. That's right, Ryan Flaherty. There is a chance that not only is Manny Machado coming back to Baltimore again in that July series, that Ryan Flaherty returns to the Orioles as the Padres' manager. That's going to be a can't-miss series. 
But we got six more questions to get to on a mailbag, including three more coming up after the break. We'll talk a bit about the Orioles going overseas, potentially, to add some more players here in the next couple of years. We'll talk about the next wave of pitching prospects, like Kate Povich and Chase McDermott. Talk a little bit about the Orioles' current pitchers in the big leagues, and would a rotation of not adding from the outside actually be good enough next season? But first... This episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, I'm as upset as you are that the Major League Baseball season is over. Congrats to the Texas Rangers on winning it all, but we still got the NFL season. Still got a good Ravens team. And you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season at FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we are back here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the podcast. Six more questions to get to, all coming from you, the listeners. Thank you so much for sending your questions in. If you don't hear your question answered on today's episode, just know i got a running list of all the mailbag questions. We're doing a mailbag, unless there's an Orioles roster move, doing a mailbag every single Monday of the offseason is the plan. So don't worry, plenty of time to get to those questions later in the offseason. Fourth question of the day comes from Shane on YouTube, who asks, do you think the Orioles will be able to attract more NPB and KBO players in the future? Those are the professional leagues in Japan and Korea, basically known to be the second and third best professional leagues behind Major League Baseball in the world. And there is a lot of talent in those leagues. And, you know, the Orioles haven't really strayed to trying to sign NPB players, trying to sign a lot of KBO players. I mean, the best one they've gotten recently is Hansu Kim. He came in 2016. He was kind of a fan favorite after not being a fan favorite at the beginning of the year, and then things kind of fizzled. They traded him at the 2017 deadline to the Phillies. He played out that season, and then he went back to Korea, and he's actually still playing over in Korea for the LG Twins, and he's still great. Um, you know, power's still kind of there, but still hits for average, still gets on base, still a fun player to watch over there for the LG Twins. But the O's haven't been in that market many other times. They, yes, had Shintaro Fujinami on the roster this year, but they didn't sign him from the MPB, right? That was the Oakland Athletics who signed him to a one-year deal and then traded him to the O's at the deadline. Now, I know the Orioles met with Kodai Senga last offseason, so ended up signing the big lucrative deal with the Mets and had an amazing rookie year in New York, despite the Mets not being very good. And they wanted Senga, but Senga just didn't want to sign with the Orioles, it seemed like. And so the O's have that interest. And I don't think there's going to be any kind of specific, like, oh, we need a pitcher from the NPP. We need a player from the KBO. I think it's more like the Orioles will look at players, how they fit their model. And of course, the big thing is how they fit into the O's financially. I mean, that's going to be the thing that stops them, not just from signing international free agents, but domestic free agents as well. Like, that is the thing that's stopping them everywhere right now is John Angelos's willingness and ability to spend at this point. Now, there's a lot of good pitching. It's going to be available, especially from the MPB over the next couple of years. The Orioles could use some pitching, and they might want to look there, but it's all going to be based on how willing John Angelos is to spend. So I think they're going to be interested in these guys, just like they were with Sanga last offseason. But it's going to take the money, and that's really what it comes down to. 
Fifth question of the day came from two different people asked the pretty same version of this question. Casper and Vincent both asking a, a similar question on Twitter. How big an impact will the next wave of Orioles pitching prospects, those are guys like Seth Johnson, Cade Povich, Chase McDermott, and Justin Armbruster, have on the 2024 Orioles? This is a good question because, you know, we had been waiting for Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, and, and really, if you were in on him, Kyle Bradish as well, to get to the Orioles. And you could throw Dean Kramer in there as well as, as he's helped the team. He was a little earlier promotion, but Bradish is here. He's the ace. Grayson is here, looks like a future ace, and D.L. Hall is here. We're not sure what his role is, but we know he will be an impact pitcher for the Orioles in 2024. So those three guys have worked out to varying degrees so far. That next group of guys doesn't exactly have like the pop-up number one guy, right? Like Rodriguez was the best pitching prospect in baseball for a while. Now these guys are in that mold, but they can still help the Orioles. For Justin R. Brewster, I don't think he's going to have an impact for the O's next year. I think he'll spend most of the year in AAA, Refining his stuff, I don't see him being a, an impact guy for the Orioles next year. Cade Povich, I think, again, he'll spend most of the year in AAA Norfolk in the rotation. I could see him making maybe a spot start or two near the end of the year if they needed him, but I don't see a super big impact from him. Seth Johnson is interesting. Of course, the Orioles acquired him at the deadline last year in the Trey Mancini trade. Good pitching prospect for the Rays, but they knew he needed Tommy John. A week after the trade, he gets that Tommy John surgery. He did return to single A and double A right at the end of this season, pitching on rehab. So he's going to be fully healthy and ready to go in 2024 spring training. And the other interesting thing with Johnson is because of his Rule 5 eligibility last offseason, the Orioles had to put him on the 40-man roster. So he's the only one of these four guys that is currently on the 40-man, which kind of accelerates his timeline a little bit and makes you think the Orioles aren't going to want to keep wasting a 40-man spot. Not wasting, but giving it to a guy who's not going to be in the big leagues for a whole nother year, especially now that they are a good baseball team. So I would think, I would almost guarantee, unless he gets re-injured, Seth Johnson's pitches for the Orioles at some point in 2024. It is tough to know what that role would be. I would think it would be as a relief pitcher for Seth Johnson. I don't know what his impact could be because we just really haven't seen him pitch. But I can pretty much guarantee you, unless the Orioles trade him or he gets injured again, if he's in the org, he's going to pitch for the O's at some point next season. But the guy I'm most confident in having a big role next year is actually Chase McDermott. He was the other pitcher the Orioles got in the Mancini trade, showed some great stuff, was really good in AAA Norfolk this year. There were a little bit of murmurs, like could they call him up to help the bullpen at the end of the year? I don't think McDermott will be on the opening day roster next year, but I do think we are going to see him in Baltimore. And actually, I'm going to take a pretty aggressive approach to this. Now, I think we'll see him in a mix of starting and relieving when he's up in the big leagues next year. But I'm going to say McDermott spends more than half of the 2024 season on the Orioles' big league roster. He is the next pitching prospect that I believe in. He is my new Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish has succeeded. He is the truth. Chase McDermott is my next Kyle Bradish. I think we're going to see him up here for more than half the season next year. Sixth question of the day comes from Ben on Twitter. Speaking of pitching, Ben asks essentially the question of what if the Orioles don't bring in any pitching? He said, does a six-man rotation of Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, and one of the young guys who impresses best, whether that's a Cade Povich or a Chase McDermott type. Does that six-man rotation, is that enough? Does that get you through the season? My answer is a big, giant no. Kyle Bradish, I trust. Grayson Rodriguez, I trust. You have questions about the other four guys. You cannot only trust, really, truly, and not have questions about two of your six starting pitchers you go into spring training with. That is a recipe for disaster. If we learned anything from the Texas Rangers winning the title this year that I talked about on the podcast last week, 
that depth in your rotation is crucial, not just in the regular season, but winning postseason series as well. Dean Kramer, I think he'll probably be back in the rotation. He's a regression candidate. Those underlying numbers were way worse than the actual numbers we saw from Kramer in 2023. We saw it kind of unravel at the end of the year and in the postseason. That could get concerning next year. He could be moved to the bullpen. Tyler Wells, he's been really good back-to-back first halves. His body has broken down in the second half back-to-back years. And he's been a really good reliever when we've seen it. Get to that next about what I think about Tyler Wells in the future. But the, the body doesn't make me think he'll be a whole year as a starter. John Means, I could see myself trusting him again next year, but he's coming off Tommy John. All we saw was four starts in September, and then he had elbow soreness and couldn't pitch in the playoffs. So you still don't really know what you're getting out of John Means next year. And then between Povich and McDermott, I don't think either of those guys are ready to be a starting pitcher on a big league, good big league team on opening day next year. So no, that is not going to be enough. When you put it out that way, that is when you realize the Orioles really do need to add at least one starting pitcher to this team for 2024. But three more questions to get to coming up on the mailbag. Speaking of Tyler Wells, talk a little bit about his role next year. Speaking of spending, talk about John Angelos, when he could do it. And finally, a cool question about my favorite moments I've seen at Oriole Park. So back here to finish off the Mailbag Monday episode. Three more questions to get to here to finish off the pod. Question number seven comes from Aiden on Twitter, who asked, do you think Tyler Wells will start the year in the bullpen or as a starting pitcher? This kind of goes along with Ben's question, the last one that I answered before the break. Tyler Wells is scaring me right now. Back-to-back years of great first halves. You know, he was the Orioles' best starting pitcher in the first half last year. Came out of the All-Star break. Just was bad. Three starts, it was really bad. Goes to double-A. Try to reset him. Just didn't work as a starter. And it was great, right, that Wells came back at the end of this year and was a really important reliever those last couple of weeks of the season for the Orioles, right? And he was a good reliever in 2021 in his rookie year after he came over in the Rule 5 draft. He was the Orioles' closer by the end of this year. Heck, he got the save in the game that clinched the division this year. So he kind of did it again. I just, I think he should be ready in spring training to be a starter. I think he they will build him up to be a starter in spring training. And maybe, maybe he'll start the year in the rotation. But I just think Wells' full role, what we see him do more next year, is a reliever. After his body breaks down like that in back-to-back years, I just, I don't think I can trust him to be a starter. Not just for a full season, but for an extended stretch. And he's been good enough in the bullpen where, now this is going to hinge on the Orioles going and getting some starting pitching help. I think if they do get some help, Wells is a guy who you can easily move into the bullpen, into that role, because he's been so good in it, and he has those question marks as a starting pitcher. I would personally feel better about the 2024 season to see Wells more so as a relief pitcher because I just I can't trust him to be a long-term starter anymore. Next question comes from John on Twitter. Funny that it came from John, who asks, what do you think it would take for John Angelos to actually spend some money on the Orioles, whether it be in free agency, acquiring expensive players by trade, extending his own guys, whatever it may be. Maybe like some sort of Freaky Friday situation, right? Lightning strikes somewhere near him and he switches bodies with, you know, I don't know, John Middleton or, or something like that. I, I Switches bodies with Peter Seidler. I don't know. 
everything he said, everything he talked about, especially in that New York Times article this year about how, you know, giving out big extensions would put the team underwater financially and blah, 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 all the lies he's told. I don't see it changing, right? And I know people talk about like, oh, when, when Peter Angelos passes away, like he wanted them to sell a team, so maybe they'll sell it. And then, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that would change it, right? If they sold the team. I don't see a scenario, and this might be a little bit too negative, but I just don't see a scenario where if John Angelos is still the controlling partner of the Orioles, that they actually spend legit money on free agents and on their own players. I just don't see it. And and he'll spend more money, right? Like, they won't stay at 29th in payroll, right? When, when you're a team that's been this good, and a team that under the Angelos family was number one in spending in the 90s, and even, you know, during the Buck era, they got into the back half of the top 10 a couple of times in spending. Like, they will spend more. Now, I don't even know if they'll make it into, like, the top half of baseball, but they'll be into the top 20 at some point and get that payroll over $100 million, and they'll spend some more money. Don't get me wrong. But he's never going to, like, spend the spending that it takes to build a team like the Rangers, the spending that it takes to, oh, right, every World Series champion since 2016 has been in the top 10 in payroll. He's not going to spend, spend that much. And it's concerning for the future of the organization. And the ninth and final question of the day comes from Joe on Twitter. A fun one to wrap it up. Joe asked my all-time favorite moment at Oriole Park. And, you know, in terms of anything that's happened at Oriole Park, that's probably too big of a, of a scale to go through. So I will answer it as my favorite moment that I have been there for. I'll kind of split it up into, you know, playoff moment, 2023 moment, and then other. Playoff moment is 2014 Game 1 of the ALDS. I was not at the Delman Double game, but I was at Game 1 when the Orioles scored eight runs in the eighth inning to obliterate the Tigers' bullpen. That was a whole lot of fun. That was the opening postseason game after the Orioles had won the division that year. I was also at Games 1 and 2 this year, but not a lot of great memories from that one. From this season, it's got to be being at Clinchmas. Being at the game where the Orioles beat the Red Sox 2-0 to clinch the AL East, that ballpark was packed. It was awesome. Just seeing, being there with friends, seeing the game, seeing them celebrate on the field. That was an unbelievable moment. I was not at Clinchmas when they won the division in 2014. It was awesome to be there this year. And then overall, one of the just cooler things I've seen, this team didn't end up really going anywhere. But in 2017, kind of the Orioles' last hurrah, it almost felt like, in that regular season. I believe it was a, an August game. In 2017, Manny Machado hit three home runs, including a walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the ninth for his third homer to win the game for the Orioles. That team, that 2017 team, was trying to hold on to the wild card race by a thread. It felt like that swing and that moment from Machado. It was like a pack night at the ballpark, went crazy in there on the walk-off grand slam. It felt like that could kind of finally propel them forward. They were like a mediocre team to sneaking into the wild card. Then, of course, they had that horrendous September, finished 12 games under 500, and kind of kick-started the start to the rebuild in 2018. But that moment in that ballpark, a walk-off Grand Slam, was very, very cool to see. And I've seen some cool things, right? Like, I was there for the Cedric Mullins cycle this year. I was there for the Adley Rutschman walk-off home run this year. Like, I saw 20 games this season, so I did get to see uh, a whole lot at the ballpark this year. But uh, I've definitely seen some some cool moments over the years, but those are some of my favorites at uh, a place that needs some upgrades. And... Hopefully that lease gets signed. Remember, we are less than two months away from the uh, lease being expired, and uh, there is nothing signed yet. But hopefully once it gets signed and once that money comes in, the upgrades can come to what is still the best ballpark in all of baseball. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in again. If you want to submit mailbag questions for a future Mailbag Monday, doing them every Monday in the offseason, 
email us, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can also email us your thoughts on the show, thoughts on me, thoughts on the O's, whatever. Tweet us at LockedOnOrioles or leave those questions right here in the YouTube comments and make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Later this week on the podcast, we are still five days a week throughout the month of November, Monday through Friday, episodes covering all things off-season, but it's kind of a big day today. Today marks officially five days since the conclusion of the World Series with the Rangers beating the Diamondbacks, which means free agency is officially open. Now, it's not like the NBA where all the moves will happen in the next couple of hours. It's not really how it works. But free agency is now open. So the O's can start talking to free agents and signing free agents if they'd like to. Not sure they will this early in the process, but it is open. So later this week on the pod, we'll continue our player review series from the 2023 season. But tomorrow, wanted to come back and just do a full free agency preview. It's good to know who all is out there for the Orioles and what exactly they will be looking for and maybe some free agent predictions as free agency opens. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.